Great to see you today. This is my uh, alter ego. Actually, Dan Wallace is my alter ego. This is my true self, handyman Dan, ready to fix anything. Uh, yeah, so uh, no, actually, that's not true at all. Uh, I bought this. I found this. Someone found this in the house. And uh, this is Nathan's work hat there. And uh, I even had a work belt, a uh, pretty impressive work belt that Nathan lent me. Um, but uh, I was... Um, I was too fat. I couldn't put it on. So uh, that's how often I put on a work belt. <laughs> I tried it. It wouldn't stretch around my girth. So uh, that's just, that's how, that's how. But I do, uh, I, I just see that we do have a little bit of a game here today. Can anyone spot where, where Waldo is this, this morning? I think I, see, think I see her there at the back. I, I'm not sure if we were able to get that on the camera. But uh, we, we, we do have Waldo here, yeah, or as we say in the UK, where's Wally? So, uh, but it's, it's uh, lovely to have you all here, uh, yeah, today, uh, and this morning, of course, after our 11 a.m. service, uh, we're going to have our Candy Palooza, um, which is uh, 45 minutes of fun and of games and of candy for uh, our church children of all ages and, of course, for our... Um, our children in the community as well. So we, we, we've been advertising it, and we'll see uh, who shows up. Um, you know, and what we're, just in, what we're encouraging people to do is to start their stash early. So rather than waiting until night, why not start it early? So I'd like to say thank you to everyone who has contributed candies or chocolate or um, sweets or whatever, because, it, because it's a great way for folks in our church and folks in our in our community to experience just a little bit of the generosity of Jesus that we have received in a practical way. Um, my kids have their costumes ready for tonight. I'm not sure if they're going to wear it um, out at the Candy Palooza. Um, but for the less adventurous types, um, rather than going out into the cold, the other option is uh, to stay in and to watch a seasonal film. And one of my favorite seasonal films for this time of year is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Hands up if you've either read the book or seen either one of the films. There was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory back in the 70s, I think it was, and then there was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the, in the 2000s. And, um, and I, whenever Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter uh, are in the same film, I always have to watch it because I love them. Um, and especially if it's one that is directed by Mr. M Mr. Tim Burton. You know, I just love that uh, mixture of those three. Um, and this uh, film, uh, which was originally a book, of course, by Roald Dahl, uh, who is from or lived in or has a connection with Wales, of course. Uh, and, uh, and this, yeah, this is really... Really, it's a coming-of-age story, right? Where this young lad who's living a hard life, like he's really down on his luck, and he finds a golden ticket, and he ends up, spoiler alert, uh, um, actually moving into the chocolate factory uh, with the Oompa Loompas, with his family, and they all move into the chocolate factory, into this wonderland of sweets and confection and invention and chocolate rivers and all sorts of great stuff. So it... It, 
in its very nature, it's a real rags to riches story. So I want you to keep in mind this idea of a rags to riches story um, as we marinate in these words from Second Peter chapter one verse three. So as I read this, just keep in your mind this idea of a rags to riches story. It says, "Praise be to the." It says, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never, never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. Isn't that an incredible verse to uh, start off our sermon? But this is rags, rags to riches. This life-changing message of the gospel is about us receiving an inheritance. Um, And like like Charlie, it really is a coming-of-age story. Um, Receiving something incredible that has your name on it. And this inheritance, as we read here, it can never perish or spoil or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So if you, have, if you have been adopted by God, then Romans 5.17 tells us um, that you are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. A co-heir with Christ. And so in Christ, all that is the Father's is yours. All that is the Father's is yours. So with all that in mind, let's jump into uh, our passage today. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1. And let's look at this whole idea of what it means for us to be adopted by God, which is the truest of all rags to riches stories. Let's pray. Lord, your, uh, your word, um, it transforms lives. And that uh, when it is preached, um, you move and you work. So I pray this morning that uh, we would hear from you, that we would hear your heart of the Father, and that uh, we, would, uh, we, would, we would recognize, Lord, that, that you always treat and that you never trick, Lord, and that uh, you are trustworthy. Uh, Lord, would you shine your light? Would you shine the light of your revelation on this word so that we may understand it in a new way? In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, Galatians 4 verse 1 says this, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, though he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and to trustees until the time set by his father. This, there's this hashtag, which has been trending on the internet, called, uh, which says, uh, it says, Free Britney. And uh, what's happened is that the, the singer from the 2000s, whose name is Britney Spears, well, she's been under the conservatorship of the father, uh, for about maybe 13 years now, and what, which means that he has control over her life or has had control over her life. So yeah, the money and the estate was hers, but it was under his control, meaning that she could not access it. And uh, I wonder if you realize that in heaven, there is a hashtag trending right now that says hashtag free Dan, that says hashtag free Wendy, that says hashtag free you, okay, and that on the heavenly social media, that uh, um, this stuff, these hashtags are trending all of the time, 
Because God wants to free you from the conservatorship of the law. So under the law, you are no different from a slave. But God wants to free you. Verse 3. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. This is referring yeah, to the law. And Warren Wearsby refers to the law as the ABCs. Right? It's the stuff that you learn right there in the kindergarten age. And, and the law is kind of like the kindergarten, you know, which I've already referenced to. And like I said last week, you know, the law is okay for a season. It was there for a reason. It was there for a season. But eventually you outgrow your ABCs and you need something more. Verse 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, there are many verses, as I've said numerous times, that are worth memorizing. And if you don't memorize scripture, I would encourage you to memorize scripture because it will transform your life. But this is one of the verses that I think is worth memorizing um, because using the language of adoption, um, what this says is that even though Jesus was loved by the Father and that he was royalty, Jesus kind of moved into the orphanage with us. Um, and he moved into the orphanage with us so that he, he could introduce us to the Father um, with the view of us being heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So he became a ragamuffin so that we could become royalty. Now, if you've ever had children, um, do you, or maybe you remember that moment where you're in the hospital and the baby comes and you get to meet him or her for the first time. And, uh, and you don't know them, like you know nothing about them. You've never seen them before, but you love them in that moment. And it's an incredible moment, which actually takes you through lots of the hardships uh, which will be facing you. Uh, you know, so that is really uh, a, a powerful moment when someone has uh, a child that they gave birth to. But what we see here is that the idea of adoption is even more incredible. It's even more powerful. You see, God knew us even before we were adopted. We weren't these blank slates. Uh, we had histories, and we had traumas, and we had regrets, and we had sins, and we had hurts. And God looked at us knowing everything about us, and he said, I know you, and I want you. And this really is our central thought this morning, that God, that, that he adopts us, knowing full well who we are, which is amazing. And this really is the center of the good news of the gospel, that any child who is willing you know, to come out of, the, out of the orphanage of the law, that they are free to move into the family of God, and that God is ready to show them what home truly looks like. And every time Jesus gets a spiritual sibling, he is overjoyed, you know, in the same way that my... Uh, my oldest daughter was excited when she had a younger sister. And then when there was a third one, 
you know, that uh, yeah, both of the two oldest ones were both excited. Jesus gets excited every time he gets spiritual sibling. Verse 6, and because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now, let's just marvel for a moment that in this verse, we see the three members of the Trinity working uh, to or working for your adoption, right? We see that God, who's the Father, sent the Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit, of his Son into our hearts. Just, just wrap your head or even start to maybe think about what that looks like, that God, the Father, sent the Spirit of the Son into your hearts, into our hearts. And, and this really is the hobby of the Godhead, is that you come home, that you know that you are loved, that, uh, that you are freed from the uncertainty of the foster care system of this world, of wondering whether you're enough, of wondering whether you're worth loving or worth maybe adopting or worth saving. You don't have to wonder about this anymore because Jesus says that, yes, you are. And, and you know, I think it's important this morning as well that we uh, hear that, that God does not foster. God has no foster children at all. He's not in the business of foster care. God only adopts. And so in Jesus, you are God's child. You are safe. You are loved. You are in your, your forever home. Now, I love how, how Paul communicates this change in verse 7. Um, he first explains it from a negative viewpoint, what we've been saved from. And he, but then he also explains it in a, in a positive viewpoint, what we have been saved to. So first, if uh, you are God's child, you are no longer a slave. So you cannot be a child of God and a slave. Those are mutually exclusive. And in ancient Rome, a citizen of Rome, Rome, um, yeah, he could actually uh, enter into the adoption process with someone who was not related to him. Maybe it was a slave. Um, and then that slave would receive all of the benefits that that Rome, Roman um, had and that, uh, uh, you know, and that all of the benefits that a natural-born child would have had, that slave now has. And so if God has freed you from slavery, then you are a child. Now, if this was the full news of the message of the gospel, it would be amazing. But it's not, because there's more. Because if you are a child of God, then it's not just that you're no longer a slave, but you're also an heir. And so it's like, you know, God lifts you, out of the misery and the drudgery of, of life apart from him. And he says, you don't have to work anymore. You know, you don't have to um, earn my love. Instead, leave this slavery. And why don't you come home with me? And then Jesus is there in the house waiting for you. And he shows you your bedroom, you know, and there's this framed selfie of you and Jesus. And, it, you know, and I... I, I and it's also clean and soft 
and nice and welcoming and your initials are on the pillowcases and you, you know you you know that this room is yours and then later while you're watching tv uh with a hot cup of cocoa in comes your father and uh, he hands you a piece of legal paper and on this paper he says it, it's it's written in his hands everything i have is yours and it's signed by him and then god takes your hand and he says you are no longer a slave you are my child and because you are my child you are my heir so friends when when god adopts us we aren't just saved from misery to okay We're saved from misery to incredible um Pastor Tim Keller, he words it like this. He says, he says, in the gospel, we discover that Jesus has taken us off death row and then has hung around our neck the Congressional Medal of Honor. We are received and welcomed as heroes as if we had accomplished extraordinary feats. Extraordinary feats. So our first truth this morning is that we are adopted by God and our second truth this morning is that we are known by God. We are known by him. Verse 8. Formerly, when you, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Okay, think about this. You are, you are adopted and you move, into, you, know, you move into the family home and uh, you know that you're an heir, that all that God has is yours. Now, you would think that this would be the, you know, the end, right? And they lived happily ever after. But, but then one day, you know, the Lord wakes up and he walks down into the living room and he sees you on your hands and knees and you're scrubbing at something on the carpet. Um, you see what had happened earlier is that you woke up and you made yourself a cocoa and then as you're walking through the living room you, you spilt it you know, and, uh, and then the mug falls on the floor and it goes everywhere and there's glass it's just a big, big mess and, you know, you know, so you, you really panic at that moment and then the Lord walks in on you as you're scrubbing the carpet like your life, life hinges on it and, and he hears you over the sound of the scrubbing he he can hear you say this if i don't get it clean then god will fight and you say um he won't welcome me anymore if i don't fix this he will throw me out and so as you're scrubbing he's watching you do this and uh you cut your hand on the glass and you make it even worse and so as god walks in on this really sad, really pathetic scene, his heart breaks. Friends, when we as God's children return uh, to the law to make up for our sin or our failure, it's like we're trying to clean up our own mess. And most of the time when we do this, we actually make things worse. So, and in this verse, Paul actually talks about the law as these weak and miserable forces. 
And they're weak because the law cannot save us. And they are miserable because when we try to get them to save us, it just makes us unhappy. And then he asks this question, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And the answer is, of course not, because who would choose a, 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 a life trying to earn something that cannot save them and that just makes them unhappy again? Instead, God, tr- God invites us to place our trust in him every day that he has, spent his, that he has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And when we do mess up, when we sin, which is often, it is God's spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, I need you. I have messed up. I have screwed up. And when, and when, when Father God hears the sound of his spirit in us yelling out, he comes running and he cleans up our mess. Amen. But now that you have but but now that you know God or rather are known by God. Now it's interesting here how Paul actually catches himself as he's writing out. He says, Now that you know God, and then it's like he stops and he goes, No, that's not what I mean to say. Now that you are known known by God. And what Paul is saying here is that when when God when he adopted you, he knew exactly what he was getting himself into. We don't have to put our best foot forward with him. He knows that we are clumsy. He knows what our besetting sins are. He, he knows our generational traumas. He knows how we act out. He knows those things that we seem to never be able to stop doing no matter how hard we try. He knows just how broken we are and he adopts us in full knowledge of all that we were, of all that we are, and all that we will be. God says, I want you, and he keeps on saying, I want you, and will keep on saying, I want you, as long as you live. Friends, you are known by God. And so, for a moment, I want us, in the quiet of our own minds and hearts, I want you to think of the worst thing that you've ever done. Okay, that thing that you are ashamed of. That thing that you hope no one ever knows about. You're embarrassed by it. No one knows about it, maybe, except, you know, the Lord. And so, I want you to close your eyes and to think of, uh, 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 of what that thing is, what that sin is. That one that makes you feel so ashamed. And now with that sin in your mind, I want us all I want us all together to say, I am known by God. Okay, ready? Three, two. I am known by God. I am known by God. He He knows me. He knows you and He still loves you. And on the cross, through Jesus, God cleaned up your mess, your guilt and your shame and your sin. He adopted you knowing full well who you were. So, you are, you are adopted by God, you are known by God, and finally God went out of his way for you. So, how far out of God's way did he go you know, for you? Well, first of all, like we heard in, in verse 4, God sent his son into the orphanage so that he could bring us home. But also, God goes out of his way by sending people 
into our lives, to, to uh, share the news that God want, wants to adopt us. And in verse 12 to 16, Paul, Paul tells the churches in Galatia that the reason they exist is because God sidelined Paul there because of sickness. Verse, verse 13, as you know, he says, it was because of, of an illness that I first preached, preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. And I imagine that Paul, in his human plans, he was not planning to stop in the province of Galatia. But God brought about Paul's sickness, knowing that Paul would stop there, and knowing that once he was stopped there, that Paul would do what he does best, which is to preach the gospel and to plant churches. So this shows us that God went out of his way to share the message of adoption and the truth of the gospel with the churches in Galatia. God went out of his way to remind them of who he is. Now, when we were in Southeast Asia, uh, we would regularly use local transport, whether it was a jeepney or a tuk-tuk, you know, or a bus or a van. And uh, we would, you know, we as a family, we would all pile into the tuk-tuk and uh, we, would, we would explain to the driver where we wanted to head off to. However, sometimes we got the sense that we were sort of being taken on a bit of a scenic route. We knew that this was over here, but we were going over here. And we knew that we should have already reached the mall. Why was it maybe taking longer than it should? And then we'd end up in these side streets, and uh, we would be thinking as a family, you know, who knows where we are, and what on earth is happening, and we hope that we're okay. And then, yeah, the driver of the tuk-tuk would stop outside this random house in a random section of the city. And he would say to us, my cousin has a shop. And you might want to look at what he sells. And, you know, it was maybe clothes or fabric or knickknacks. Or, and we would be like, no, we want to go to the mall. You know, we didn't hire, we didn't hire you to bring us here. And, you know, even though the driver had ulterior motives, um, and even though it wasn't part of our plan, uh, you, you can't help but be a little bit impressed um, at the commitment and the willingness of them to go out of their way so that we can make, make a meaningful connection with their cousin and their shop. And, friends, God goes out of his way all of the time. And, is, and it's not to sell us anything, but it's to tell us that we are loved and that he has a home for us and that uh, he's already signed the adoption papers if only we place our trust in Jesus. And so God was more than happy to sideline Paul with a sickness for the sake of the people in Galatia. And so if you're in Christ this morning, I wonder as you look back over your life, who has God inconvenienced? For your sake? Who has God sidelined for your sake? Who has God moved out of their way that you might hear about him? Maybe it was the right person at the right time or someone that you accidentally caught and ran into. Maybe it was a mum who spent years and years of, of her life just, you know, showing you, uh, you know, the wonderful truths in the Bible. Maybe, maybe that. 
Maybe it was something that you read on the internet or a youth conference, or, but, or maybe you're here this morning and you haven't experienced what it is to be God's adopted child. But for sure, he has gone out of his way that you can hear this message. How do I know this? Because you're here today. God has gone out of his way so that you can hear this. In uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, this movie ends with Charlie winning because he's a nice kid, because he's a good kid, because, you know, yeah, he's not a bad kid. But he's not the only kid there, right? You, you, know, you have Augustus Luke, who's... Uh, maybe gluttonous, you know, you have uh, Baruch Assault, who's really greedy, or you have Mike TV, who's lazy, or you have uh, Violet Beauregard, who is really proud. And in Roald Dahl's story, each of the children um, have to leave, um, really because of their sin, and they are excluded from the goodness of the chocolate factory. But in the kingdom of God, it is all the Veruca Salts and the Augustus Flutes and the Violet, you know, and the Violets and the Mike TVs uh, who make up God's family because they are loved, because we are loved and, 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 and we are welcomed. It's, it's not only the Charlies who are loved, who are welcomed. And if we're honest this morning, as we look at our own lives, we're more like a Violet or a Veruca or a Mike more than we are a Charlie. But God, regardless, goes out of his way to show us that he is ready to rescue us and to save us from the, you know, from the sin uh, and the misery of life apart from him. And so if you are in Christ this morning, then Galatians 4 reminds you that you are adopted by God, that you are loved, that you are known by God, and that God went out of his way to show you And if you've not still received God as your father, then then his welcome for you to leave your slavery and become part of this family is still there. And so my question for us this morning is, do you stay in the orphanage or is it time for you?